Hi everyone and welcome to the first episode of Bad Apple. I'm Riley and I'm Helen and thank you for joining us. It is our first one so bear with us we're going to do our best to bring you this case today. Should we just jump right in? I guess so. All right. (laughs) On Saturday the 15th of September a Chinese toddler was found alone in the busy Southern Cross station in Melbourne. She'd been standing motionless before an elderly Chinese couple approached the frightened girl and alerted staff. At first, she was identifiable only by the pumpkin patch clothes she was wearing and was nicknamed Pumpkin as authorities launched a public appeal for the guardians of the girl to come forward. Today we're talking about the abandonment of Pumpkin, which is a case that you suggested, Helen, when I first asked you about New Zealand cases. Yeah, so I grew up in the Asian community in New Zealand and it was a very big case. Everyone was talking about it. Definitely was like what came to mind first for me. So we just want to note that we're going to refer to the family by their English names. You know, absolutely, we should be learning names properly or addressing people by their actual names on a day-to-day. But... For the purpose of storytelling today, we're just going to use their English names. Riz doesn't speak Mandarin Chinese. Maybe you guys don't. Just be easier. So, after Pumpkin was found by the elderly Chinese couple, which cute. Yeah, imagine. You're so scared. Yeah, and then this old Chinese couple come up to you. She was then taken into the care of staff members at Southern Cross Station who alerted the police. There was this one staff member who noted that she had really greasy hair. Which... That was it. What a roast. Maybe, I think he was trying to say she probably hadn't been looked after that well. But still, that would hurt me deeply if I was found and someone said I had greasy hair. He said he like patted her on the head and he was like, her hair was so greasy. (laughs) Maybe he didn't say it in that tone. Maybe not. He was like, oh, her hair was so greasy. Like a more concerned (laughs) standpoint rather than a roast. Not an absolute roast. So the staff couldn't get much info from her either, but she was three. Mm. and scared in, we'll a, in, a, in a new country. Yeah. yeah. Two days later, with Pumpkin in emergency foster care, New Zealand authorities identify her as Xue Tianxun and the man who abandoned her as her father, Xue Naying, which we will refer to as Michael, and we will refer to her as Pumpkin. The two had flown to Melbourne from Auckland two days prior, and they can't locate the father who was seen with her on security cameras. Back in New Zealand, police realised that Michael's wife and Pumpkin's mother, Lil Ann Ann, or Annie as she went by, was also missing. They get a warrant to search the house for the mother, but she wasn't there. So, the police have three questions. Where is the father? Where is the mother? And what do we do with this kid with both parents missing? To answer some of these questions, we need to take a look further into the history of these two, her parents. Annie had emigrated from China's Hunan province to study in New Zealand. She met Michael in 2002 while she was living as a boarder in his house in Auckland, and they got married in 2004. She gave birth to their daughter in the same year, Pumpkin, as we came to know her. Annie was a loving and diligent mother and was close with her family back in China. She was also the only child of her family, returning for a few months a year to spend time with them. She loved travelling, and according to her mother, she dreamed of visiting idyllic islands and famous cities. She loved reading, singing karaoke, and listening to music, playing badminton, and cooking traditional Asian food. She loved films, and her favourite was a Chinese film called Chinese Odyssey, which is based on Journey to the West. That is a good film, can confirm. Yeah, I've heard you talk about that. It does slap. 
Her marriage to Michael isn't exactly happy, and she's overpowered by Michael's narcissistic and self-important tendencies. Michael was a kung fu master. He seems like he was conceited, full of himself, and delusionally self-centered. And we don't just say that. There is reason. (laughs) Yeah. He wrote a biography titled The Pearl of Wu Style Tai Chi, The Life of Xue Nai Yin. Nice. Thanks. (laughs) In which he described himself as a gift to his mother from the gods. He describes a scene in which his mother had gone to the temple to pray for a son as she had been unable to have children. She placed incense into an urn and as she did so, thunder roared, lightning struck and the heavens opened. Poor. Poor. A bearded old man came to his mother in a dream that night and said to her, I'll do the old man voice. Great. You will soon have a son. You are to take good care of him and bring him up well. He is going to be a great and successful man. Is this a ripoff of the Bible? Potentially. A little bit. (laughs) Anyway, this was... A lot. Apparently his origin tale. I see. He carried this fine opinion of himself into adulthood where he moved to New Zealand because he had no choice but to leave China and fulfil his destiny of spreading martial arts around the world. Of course. Yeah. In 2006, someone approached him to make a documentary on his missing daughter from a previous relationship. We now know that he also abandoned this daughter. But he told this documentary maker that he had over 40,000 followers in America. We don't mean, like, followers like Instagram. He meant real-life culty followers yeah i think he got this idea because he wrote an article that was published in an american tai chi magazine and i think he just sort of equated that with like everyone who reads this magazine must be a follower of mine (laughs) this documentary also revealed that the walls of his house were covered in massive posters of himself doing martial arts poses there were no family pictures he ordered the director not to speak to his wife saying This is my documentary. Don't talk to my wife. Talk to me at all times. It makes sense that he created this climate of fear in his household by both physically and emotionally overpowering and restricting his wife. And it worked. In 2006, two years after they were married, one of Annie's friends moved in with them. Annie tells his friend that she's scared that if she left, Michael would kill her. I think it's also important to note at this point that he really had the dominant position in the relationship not only because he was so much older and she lived in his house, but that he had a bigger influence and reputation in the community, the Asian community, and she was like new and young, international student. Do you think she felt like she couldn't leave because it would have just created like such a uproar within the community because he was so like popular? Possibly. Not long after Annie confided this fear, things took a turn for the worst. On the 21st of September 2006, Michael was charged with assaulting his young wife with a kitchen knife. The family court judge noted, and I quote, Police fear if she had not escaped, her injuries would have been severe or fatal. At this time, police opposed his bail, saying that Michael was, and I quote, fully capable of killing the victim due to his training and discipline. I think he was capable of killing her because he was massive. And 40. Yeah, he was 50. (laughs) Not because he was a kung fu master. Yeah. I'm sure that played into it. If anything, you would think his training and discipline would be something that stopped him from committing, like, violent acts. Oh, yeah. Self-control. Yeah. Inner peace. Yeah. Despite police opposition, Michael is released on bail a week later, on the 28th of September. After this fight, Annie moves out of the couple's home. 
She also moves a trip to China that she was taking with her friend forward by a month without telling Michael because she was scared he would come to the airport when he knew she was leaving. And he does. The friend that she was going to China with doesn't change her flight and on the day that Annie was due to fly to China, her friend sees Michael at the airport and they talk briefly. So he was trying to find her at the airport and get in contact with her. Annie knew. He knew. She knew that he was going to do that. Yeah. So Annie leaves New Zealand with Pumpkin in October, and they stay with her parents in China for four months, returning to New Zealand in February the next year, in 2007. When she arrives back from China, she goes to stay with a friend who she refers to as Brother Song for six weeks. There are messages between Annie and a friend that suggest that Annie was sleeping with Brother Song, and it made her, quote, ferocious like a wolf. But I'm sure something got lost in translation there. Yeah. I think we know what she means, though. Mm. But Song says they never slept together. I mean, would you admit to banging a Kung Fu master's wife, though? Probably not. It would be a bit bold. It would be... You'd have to really back yourself. He would come for you. You'd, you'd have to have that big D energy. <laughs> After this, Annie moves into various safe houses, and she takes out a protection order, but Michael is still harassing her. She contacts police after he had left a message on her phone, telling her that he still loved her and begging her to come back and live with him. Michael had followed her to one of the safe houses and kept slowly driving past, so she moved to a different house. Did this happen more than once? Yeah, I think he was known for doing a bit of a drive-by. Eventually, Michael wears Annie down and she moves back into the house in June of 2007. But in the same month, Michael was charged with punching her in the face and threatening to kill her with a knife. Apparently, Michael had taken her passport to prevent her fleeing to China, like she did after their first big argument in 2006. An uncorroborated report from the refuge that Annie sought housing in is that she arrived with black, swollen eyes and said her husband demanded sex daily and that he'd held a knife to her stomach and said, and I quote, I treat you good and you don't treat me very well. I love you and you don't love me. I'm going to kill you. Allegedly, the fight had occurred because Annie went hunting for her passport but instead found a gun that Michael had in the house. However, there is also an argument that this fight ensued because Michael found out that Annie had been sexually active with other men, which is something that we'll explore further in a little bit. So put a little pin in that idea. So after this June argument, Annie temporarily moves out of the home, but moves back in by August. There's evidence that during this time, she had at least one affair with a married man and that she had been on internet dating sites. So we've basically caught up now to where we begun. This all happens about one month before Pumpkin is found at the train station. Pumpkin had been placed into emergency foster care with an Australian family, and New Zealand authorities were trying to fast-track visas for her family from China to reunite with her, as they were the only family they could contact. After three days of searching, on the 20th of September, Annie's body is finally found, naked in the boot of the family car parked outside their home. She had been strangled to death with one of her husband's neckties, almost 10 days before she is discovered. What's awful, really, is that she had a blog where she made regular entries about her life. She wrote in August that she had to leave the love nest that she'd shared with this man in a city, far from her violent husband, because his wife was returning home. She said, I hope I can just have the freedom to come and go any time I want until I can find a place where I can emotionally have a rest. But I simply can't find it. I am tired and lonely. Life is meaningless without love. Yeah, that's heavy. Around the same time, she opened an account on an online dating site where she wrote that she is divorced with no children. Which isn't entirely true. 
But, but I, she's only 27. Understandable She's at only this 27. Point. Of course you would be like, I'm just going to stretch the truth a little. She was active on her blog and her dating account right up until when she was killed. In a blog entry the day before she died, she said this, Living in this world, a lot of the time we live in difficulty and loneliness. If the conclusion of happiness must always be pain, I would rather I'd never been happy. Her last logon to the dating site was the day that she was murdered. It's this timeline that raises suspicion that Michael had come across her online presence and killed her. Conversely, it's also this activity that provides the argument that Annie was killed by someone else who she'd been connected with over the internet. Now that Annie's body had been found, police issued a warrant for the arrest of Michael. They sent it to Interpol, who sends it to the LAPD, because at this point, he's escaped to America. He, he's gotten to America in these five days or something since he left Pumpkin. Yep. There's a lack of communication, though, and the LAPD say they never got it and wants New Zealand to send it again. They fumble the bag for about two days, and by this time, he is gone. He is spotted various times in Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, and finally Georgia. And in Georgia is what sounds like a capture scene out of an actual movie. So about five months into his US stay, he's like made friends with these six Chinese people in his apartment block. But they see him on the Chinese language news. Yeah, bold move befriending people when you're on the run. Yeah, who you know would watch the same news channel as you. Yeah. So they identify their friend as this convict on the run from the news and try to tell the police about it. But there's a bit of a language barrier, so they decide to take matters into their own hands and capture him themselves. Imagine being the police chief and these six Chinese people come in and they're like really frantically trying to tell you something and you're like, oh, pff, what? I, pff, I don't understand you. Like, what? would you not get a translator if they're like, oh, I need to tell you this? I thought maybe they were on the phone to them. Oh, like potentially. they had dialed and they were trying to, but it wasn't really... Yeah, right. Maybe in 2007 we didn't have phone translators. No. Not, not on, in Georgia. Not on quick dial. Yeah, that's, that's true. So, these six Chinese people, which I understand is five guys and one girl, mm-hmm. enter his apartment and overpower him, using his pants to tie his legs up. So they take his pants off. They duck him. We'd call that a dacking in Australia. Right, so they absolutely dack him and they use his pants to tie his legs up and his belt to tie his hands until the police arrived. So the police decided in the end they should probably go check yeah. it out. That's like, that's iconic. Yeah. I hope they used some kung fu martial arts in there so that it all comes full circle. Yeah. The man got captured by martial arts. I wonder if they were like 100% sure. Or do you think they went into the house and they were like, who are you really? Yeah. <laughs> Tell us. Know. We know everything already. No, these six strike me as like, we're going in yeah. and we are tying him up with his pants. You yeah, know? true. They they didn't care if he was the wrong guy. Plus, I don't know if he would have given a fake name, Michael. I think he did have fake some fake names going. Right. But he didn't really establish those identities very well. He just like would give them out like hotels and stuff Mm. he didn't have like id with other names Mm. yeah i think they might have been able to piece uh piece it together because he just arrived from yeah that's true somewhere random who is he no family whatever and anyway he's a pretty unique looking guy 
I wouldn't doubt myself. Yeah. If I saw him on the news and knew him in real life, I'd be like, that is actually the same person, man. Yeah, that's true. He has a very interesting head shape. Yeah. He looks a bit like a thumb. Interesting is a, <laughs> interesting is a nice way to put it. <laughs> US authorities were able to get around some lengthy extradition requirements because he had overstayed his visa and was eligible for deportation instead. He was back in New Zealand by the 9th of March 2008. Over a year later, in June 2009, the trial for Annie's murder begins, and it lasts for two months. The prosecution run with the obvious argument that Michael was violent and that this was clearly something that fits with his pattern of behaviour. But the defence run this argument about Annie's newfound sexual pursuits. They tried to argue that Annie had died as a result of erotic asphyxiation, so like choking, and that she died at the hands of other men. They had evidence that Annie had told a friend she hadn't liked sex with her husband and all the evidence about her affairs from the blog and dating sites. They had this idea that she'd recently discovered this new sexual peak and had been sleeping around with various men. What doesn't help Annie is that there were two sets of other male DNA found on her underwear that she was wearing when she was found in the boot of the car. But, I mean, sue her. She'd obviously been separated from Michael for a year and had been trying to leave this abusive relationship. Maybe she did sleep with other people. All it takes is one cell of someone's DNA to turn up. Doesn't mean that they were there in the moment. This is quite an irritating narrative, to be honest. It's like, so what? Yeah. So? Yeah, don't demonise her for living her life. Yeah. Also... If you're having an affair on your husband, are you really going to be like, yeah, yeah, like, please choke me with one of my husband's ties? I don't think so. That's a bit bold. I wouldn't do that. I don't really know that much about that kink. Yeah. <laughs> just <laughs> just outsing myself and saying that. So maybe, um, but maybe there's a certain, there could be a certain Yeah, we don't appeal. kink shame. Yeah. We don't kink shame. Yeah. a certain appeal in that. Do what you like. The jury, unsurprisingly, doesn't buy this defense. And Michael is found guilty of his wife's murder and sentenced to life with a minimum non-parole period of 12 years. But maintains his innocence. He's shouting, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, I'm mystified about this verdict because my conscience is clear and I know in my mind I am not the killer. Immediately, he said he was very keen to lodge an appeal. But his lawyer wasn't quite as enthusiastic about that. He says that there was little sympathy for Michael and, quote, 99.99% of New Zealanders think he is guilty. Yeah, this poor guy is worn down. I mean, I never participated in that vote. (laughs) Maybe they weren't polling nine-year-olds. Oh, I would have. It's something to say that he is guilty. I would be in there, 99.99%. Yeah, the the 0.01 was him. (laughs) It was him yelling, not fair, not fair. But in March 2020, so this year... He finally publicly confesses that he did it, and he says this during an interview with the parole board, seemingly one of his first since he'd been taken into custody in 2008. But he really wasn't in a sharing mood, so he doesn't like give us any more details, doesn't give us a rundown, or maybe why he did it. He really just said he did it, and that was that. But there were a lot of language barrier problems in court. Uh, and in that interview, just in general. With yeah, him. in the in the parole board interview, he kept the translator kept saying that Michael was saying he made a mistake. He kept using the word mistake, and the parole board was really like not buying that. They were like, "What do you mean a mistake? This wasn't a mistake. This was murder. You've murdered your wife." Yeah. But I think maybe mistake 
potentially wasn't the right choice. He could have been saying he regretted what he did. Yeah. It was a mistake. It was such a, I am ashamed, and but they didn't really get that message. Yeah, they might have interpreted it like it was an accident. Yeah. But maybe that's not what he was saying. He but wasn't being like, whoops. We don't really I, know. Yeah. He admits that he left Pumpkin at Southern Cross Station because he had come to Australia to escape the murder of his wife and it would be very inconvenient to bring a child along his great escape. Yeah, the, the very inconvenient is also like a quote that the translator has like yeah. used. So maybe maybe he did mean that. Maybe he did mean that this was this kid, God, what a burden. Let's just dump her at the train station. Or he could be saying, like, I didn't want to bring my child along a police pursuit yeah. kind of thing. And put her in the middle of all of that. Hard to say. We don't know. We don't know the man. Yeah. He doesn't get parole at, after that interview. So he's still in there. He's still in prison. They agreed to like meet him again in 12 months' time. But they cited, again, like a lot of language difficulties for him in jail, which meant he couldn't participate in a lot of the rehabilitation programs and like that they really wanted him to work like improve his English so that he could participate more which is problematic and we have the same problem here in Australia of like offenders with non-English speaking backgrounds they just can't access Mm. programs Mm. so that is an issue an issue and something that we can work towards improving listen to Riz she's telling you what to do (laughs) I'm an advocate (laughs) law reform advocate So where is Pumpkin now? Because she would be about 16. As far as we know, she's living very privately with Annie's parents in China. At the time, a whole heap of money was raised by Pumpkin's half-sister in New Zealand, but the grandparents have so far refused the money, basically saying that they just want to be left alone. So when we were researching this case, you got the inside scoop, Helen, from your (laughs) mum and your grandma. Yeah, I got the tea. They really, they did have quite a bit to say about it. Most importantly, that she went to the same daycare as my younger brother. Not at the same time. A little bit before him. Right. She's a bit older. So the family lived in the same area then as your family? I guess so, if they were going to that. Yeah. She didn't go there for long. She went there for like four weeks. I think this was just before she went to China, maybe. Right. But I don't know. My mum also wondered, perhaps, if... Annie, at the beginning, wanted residency in New Zealand. If that might have been a driving motivator for her to be with him. Get married. Get married that quickly. But they did have the child, which you wouldn't need to do to get residency. Yeah, but maybe maybe that wasn't her choice. True. My grandma. (laughs) My grandma claims that we saw him at a restaurant once. I don't know how much credit to give She saw him at a restaurant in Georgia. She was that... (laughs) She was the one woman. She was the one woman. She went in there and ducked him. <laughs> yeah. She she swears that uh, she saw him because she had recognized him from... He, he was in the papers for writing about martial arts stuff. Right. Maybe there was a photo of him posing in those... Yeah, you know, right. From one of those posters he had up on his wall. <laughs> and she said he was... This was in Chinese, but I laughed so hard. She said that he was so short. So dark and so fat. Girl, what a roast <laughs> Your grandma. grandma is she's actually the queen of roasts. She's always dishing out the roasts. Yeah. So maybe I was in close contact with this man. Maybe. Maybe we in the ate same room. A, oh, guys. Breathing the same air. Yeah. As a cold blooded oh, killer. Little did I know. Mm. Mm. That's the absolute tea. Yeah. That's why we started with this one. Exactly. We had a a close connection. Well, you did. 
apparently so, according to my grandma. <laughs> but I guess we'll never know, really, if he was there at the restaurant. I can't even remember what restaurant it was. Anyway. Yeah. So, that was it. That was it for our first episode, our first case. Little pumpkin. I hope she's doing well now in China. Yeah, me too. I think her parents were like, you know how you said that they just kind of didn't take the money and left? Yeah. They were just like, this kid's been through so much. You know, Annie was our only daughter. We just hope to take Pumpkin back to China and give her a good life. They just wanted to mm. end that whole situation, which is understandable. It really is an awful case. I think, yeah, losing your only daughter mm. would be something that you just never expect to happen or plan for. So I guess maybe the opportunity to raise Pumpkin as their own sort of daughter would have yeah. brought them a lot of happiness in such a sad time. Hopefully. Hopefully. Well... We're not going to stop here, apparently. We're going to do another episode. Yeah, apparently. Next week. We are going to be talking about Catherine Knight. And if you don't know who that is, well, don't Google it, because we're about to tell you next week. Yeah, just let us tell you. <laughs> we'll see you then. Bye. Bye.